Hoody ho! Hey guys, welcome to episode 24. Uh, I'm not going to say this is a special episode, but this is a special episode. Um, yeah, this was a great interview. I'm so grateful this interview happened. Um, this is my new friend, Angela. She's a good person. Very upbeat and positive. Probably need more of that. I need to be more like that. Um, this was a good one. Uh, I'm doing this in a couple weeks in advance, but, you know, this this is a conversation that pe- a lot of people need to hear. Um, not just in the disability community, not just in the mental health community, just people. Um, I know, but he's over there stretching on the floor, looking all cute. Um, but yeah, guys, I, I don't want to even take much of your time with just my nonsense. I just want you to... Subscribe, like, and comment, and five stars, and all that good jazz, and just welcome my new good friend, Angela. Thanks, guys. Hello. 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 It's, uh, so yeah, it's officially recording now. Awesome. All right. So I guess we can just start from here. Basically, basically, tell me, you know, your name and where you're from and all that. Um, my name is Angela Kim. I am from Yorba Linda, California. And um, I am a traumatic brain injury survivor of over 25 years now, uh, kind of living all, all of my life with a disability, but have overcome a lot. And I'm um, happy to be on this podcast to share my story and just to, you know, kind of um, be able to empower people with disabilities and just kind of um, be in the movement. Right. How old are you now? I am 32. All right. So what were you, what was it like before all this happened? Like, what were you, whether as a child or, you know, how were you then? Yeah. So, um, I was a happy and healthy, you know, little girl. Um, I, at the age of seven, um, I followed my older brother to a basketball court and I used to be, you know, this very kind of outgoing, adventurous little girl. So I ended up um, wanting to kind of, um, kind of play and I ended up kind of climbing to the top of the basketball post and I kind of held onto the post with my, both of my hands and I didn't realize the night before it had rained. And so my hand slipped for a split second and I landed on the concrete floor with my head and had a concussion. Wow. So I kind of blacked out. So my brother and my parents took me to the emergency room. The doctor had told my parents that, you know, if I came to the hospital like five minutes later, I could have died because the blood inside my head was swelling uncontrollably. Right. So um, I ended up getting to an eight hour brain surgery and then when I came out, I fell into a coma. And the doctors had told my parents that, you know, if that her, my injury was so severe that, you know, I'm probably going to have about two weeks to wake up. And if I don't wake up within two weeks, I'm probably never going to wake up. And mm-hmm. miraculously, on the 15th day, I woke up and opened my eyes. So wow. I, um, I kind of looked around. I noticed my parents. The weird thing was that um, I realized that 
the right side of my body, I could not move a single muscle on the right side of my body. So I couldn't even flinch my finger or no, nothing worked on the right side of my body. And I also realized that I could think, but I couldn't speak anything. No words would come out of my mouth, no matter how hard I tried to talk. So it was a very traumatic experience. And um, for some reason, the doctors who had kind of treated me were very negative in a way. And they kind of told me a lot of stuff that, you know, that wouldn't be possible for me to do or, you know, that I wouldn't be able to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, kind of going to school or just, you know, living a normal life, I guess, you know, they thought that it wouldn't be a possibility for me. So I had a lot of kind of people telling me a lot of stuff that I would not be able to do. But I think there's like a fighter mentality inside of me, you know, kind of I remember even when I was young telling myself that I'm going to prove those doctors wrong and I'll show you kind of what I can do. Right. So we'll we'll go back for a second. Like when when you were trying to talk, mm -hmm. um, like, did you remember everything at that point? Like, did it all come back at once or were you still like confused and didn't know where you were? No, I, I didn't remember why I was at the hospital. I lost all memory prior to my injury. Right. So then the weird, the weird thing is I could still think, but I couldn't remember what happened. Uh-huh. Did you know your name and all that? Um, yes, yes. I could okay. think, um, I could think all the way, but I just couldn't speak. Right, right. Okay, okay so sorry. Like I said, sometimes it's hard to cut somebody off on a phone call because you can't put your hand up and just go like, hey. <laughs> uh, no worries, no worries. Um, but yeah, so the doctors are being negative. And, go ahead. Yeah. So then, um, what I so ever since I was seven, I had to pretty much relive my life. So I had to right. like relearn how to swallow, relearn how to talk, relearn how to walk. I used to be right-handed. I, to, I you know I could no longer use my right hand, so I had to you know learn how to become left-handed. And so it was pretty much setting a reset button all in my life all over. So I think um, counting, looking back, I think ever since my injury, I probably went through like. In total aggregate for 25 years, about like 10,000 hours of rehabilitation, you know, including physical therapy and physical, you know, kind of on speech therapy, learning how to talk again and kind of going through all of that, all of that since I was seven. And, you know, even to this day, you know, I still have a a very limited um, uh, ability to use my right arm. But, you know, even with that, I kind of learned how to overcome a lot of the obstacles where I graduated from college. I went to UCLA, got a psychology degree. I learned how to drive with one hand. And now I cook with my one, you know, just my one hand with adaptive equipment. And I, um, you know, kind of I got married three years ago, you know, to the to the love of my life. And I'm kind of happily married. We bought a house in Yerba Linda. And now I cannot do what I love to do, which is helping other people and cannot overcome disabilities and empower them with their potential and helping them find their purpose and meaning in life. Right. Now, what, what is the rest of your right side? You said you have like small amount of function in your right your right arm but what about your leg and just the whole side yeah so um, i am able to walk and able to kind of live pretty much a very independent kind of lifestyle but my right leg and especially my entire right side of my body the muscles it's my condition is called dystonia where the as long as i'm awake my muscles are in contraction 
So it's hard for me to relax the right side of my body, which you know kind of causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of kind of um kind of kind of restlessness on the right side of my body. So I still struggle with that on an everyday basis. What was the what was the hardest thing, or it continues to be? What is was the hardest thing to rehab? You know, again, you said you had to figure out how to talk and all these different things. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you what was the hardest challenge of all of them? I think the hardest challenge is like learning how to figure out how to do things that you know kind of you know um, normal people or non-disabled people would do with two hands and learning to do with just one hand. For example, you know typing with one hand. Because, you know, I can't use my right arm. So then I end up, you know, I learn how to type with one hand. You know, almost as fast as kind of like a non-disabled person would do. And learning how to just kind of drive on my own. Driving with one hand was one of the biggest hurdles that I had to go through. I had to, you know, I ended up failing my first driving test. And I had to go through so many hours finding a special instructor teaching me how to drive with, with just one hand. What was that like for like the teacher, like the driver or the one that, you know, the, the instructor? Yeah. So was, the, did, yeah, the, what was it like? Did he have any faith that you could even do it? So it's funny because the driving instructor I found, his name is Frank, and he actually is a um, special instructor who teaches um, people with all kinds of disabilities how to drive. Oh, so, cool. so there are a lot of adaptive equipments when it comes to driving. For example, oh. hand controls for people, you know, who are you know, unable to use their legs or, you know, people like me who have only kind of one functioning arm to be able to drive. Right. Um, so, I mean, I know we'll get into mental health and a lot of other stuff, but what was your biggest, I don't know, what, what, what was your biggest motivation on pushing through all that? Because that's a lot of work, regardless yeah. if you know the actual, I mean, you know, you said 25 years, you're still kind of doing it, but mm-hmm. you don't, I mean, they're, the doctors are telling you, you probably will never do a lot of things, mm-hmm. if, if anything. So what was your biggest motivation to even pushing through and just not just completely giving up? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, there were a lot of moments where I felt like I had to give up or I didn't have a reason or a purpose to, you know, live in with this kind of disability. But I think what kept me going was just knowing that, you know, that, People with um, disabilities or challenges, everybody, everyone goes through different challenges in life, whether or not they have a disability that's noticeable or whether or not they're going through just kind of life challenges in general. And I think just from a young age, I've always had this fighter mentality and always challenging myself to do something that I think that I may be incapable of doing. So I kind of find a lot of thrill in overcoming, like, even, like, little challenges and just finding out my own creative ways to kind of to be able to live my life as best as I can. And I think it's just my family's support and just kind of knowing that, you know, it's that there is more to life than, than just um, limiting myself to the disability that I have. Right. So you had a lot of support from your family then? Yes. That helps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how old were you when that happened? When you I, fell? Oh, uh, I was seven. Seven, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's got to be crazy traumatic. And I mean, there's really no, I mean, like I said, you, you lose half your function mm-hmm. in your entire body. That's got to, and then, then being seven, like you don't know a whole lot anyway. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're so right. Because, you know, I mean, I don't remember ever in my life when I didn't live with my condition. 
So it's like, I don't know what it is to be able to use both hands ever because I've never done it before. Right. So, so I think just the biggest challenge I would say is more mental. And I know that we're going to get into mental health, but it's knowing, just being, seeing everywhere that I am just different and that right. I look different, I function differently and just kind of trying to navigate the whole different kind of world and the sense of identity that I used to put on myself. I think that's right. always been my biggest challenge. Of course. Right. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of what scares us really is the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, even for me, like, it's like, you know, will my eyes get worse to where I have none? And, you know, just the thing. And, and sometimes, you know, you even just in any body part, you'll get a pain and you'll, you know, that's why like, I, I sympathize more with the people who are like a hypochondriac when it comes to going to the doctors and fixing things than the people that are just kind of ignorant to the idea of, ah, you know, it'll fix itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not saying it's right either way, but I'm more understandable to the people who are wanting to figure out the problem because that's part of it with anxiety. It just makes you, you know, and you can't look up symptoms because if you look up symptoms, it'll tell you you have cancer or something way worse yeah. than you actually have. Right. Um, and then also in your case, you being seven um, and you throw that in and it's just like, and now you're telling a seven year old like, yeah, you can't go out and play and you can't do these things. You mm-hmm. have to lay in bed and you have to slowly do this and do that. Um, how did you go to school? So um, going to school for me, learning wasn't a challenge for me when I was young. So then um, I didn't really have a problem like reading or writing or doing math or that kind of stuff. I think the, the, that was the, the biggest blessing that I had was that I actually was never bullied when I was in school. And I was kind of able to integrate into the classroom kind of as in like a normal kind of kid. So that was right. a huge blessing in my life. Was there any kind of uh, special things that were eligible to you like for me there were certain machines that would blow things up for like size for my eyes mm-hmm. um was there any kind of special whatever seating or anything for you to you know kind of get acclimated to the class for me personally i didn't need it because you know even though my doctors had told me that you know my recovery would be very slow and that you know i may not be able to recover a lot of this lot of things and like miraculously, my recovery was actually very, very, very fast. And maybe that's also because I was injured when I was seven. So then my brain was still plastic to develop a lot of the stuff that, you know, maybe a lot of adults would have trouble doing when they were injured as an adult. Right. And every, and you heal so much faster when you're a kid too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that, I mean, that definitely helps. Um, And I know you, again, trust me, please know I'm not making fun of you or anything, but, you know, and you talked about the speech show, how does it affect when the way you talk? Because you obviously there's the way you sound. It's a little off, mm-hmm. but it's not. I mean, obviously you sound fine. Mm-hmm. But what is it? What does it do to your speech to this day? So I think with the speech, there's a like a little bit of like two components. Where one component is that because of my muscle tension, there's also a lot of muscle tension in my neck. So then my voice tends to sound a little bit strange. Like kind of is strange, so then people have a hard time kind of kind of hearing me because of the tightness in my voice that I'm kind of unable to kind of um kind of make myself heard in a way. And I think the other part is I think because of that it it kind of makes me having to rethink what I'm gonna say because I mean people have a harder time understanding me, so it's a lot more processing that I have to go through to make my point across. Right. I will say, like, and again, like I said, I'm not making fun of you because this is the second time we've talked. We've had a long conversation before. Yeah. There's nothing I don't understand mm-hmm. that you're saying. So I don't know. 
I mean, again, maybe I'm getting you on your good days, but uh-huh. you sound perfectly fine to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, again, you know, some you know how people are. Some people are just kind of whatever's not normal. It's off to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like I said, I I just you know obviously you said you talked about it and you could tell there's something off a little. But as far as understanding you, I understand you perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I do have a you know a little bit of like attention or kind of um kind of following conversation kind of issues that kind of I've developed over the years, but I've also learned a lot of compensating strategies to try to overcome that. Right. How does that like work? Because I mean, you you are an intelligent person, so how does that work mentally when you're trying to? Because you I mean you're a smart person and you want to sound intelligent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have this little quirk where people may, you know, think, you know, because obviously we all kind of, no matter what your disability is, we kind of get put in the category that we're some kind of special needs. Yeah. Even though we could be as smart as the smartest person in the world, and it doesn't matter because we look a little off or sound a little off. So mm-hmm. how does that work with you psychologically when you're trying to make a, a, an intelligent point to somebody, mm-hmm. but all they're hearing is the little offness in your voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's more, it's definitely more mental because it's what the it's the meaning that I make out of it. Right. Because I think right. a lot of times the people who I'm talking to, you know, anybody who I talk to, they, like you said, don't really notice it. But then I, because I noticed it, because I know that that's something that I deal with, it makes it kind of come across even more obvious, right? But I think it's the meaning that I make of it. And if I don't make it mean anything, then it actually doesn't really bother. But I think that, I mean, there are some days when I'm, like you said, like I'm like, my mind is a little bit more off than others or whatnot. So it's a constant struggle. But I've learned how to kind of reframe it not to be a struggle because everybody has kind of harder days or whatnot. So I think just kind of making different meanings and just kind of going, trying to be the best um, version of myself every conversation and every day that I live, that's kind of um, helped me push forward. Right. Well, and and we talked about this as well, like, uh, you know, a lot, you know, basically the, the hardest part about having any kind of disability I mean, there's, there's the way you're treated in life and all that, but it really, you know, the physical stuff, you almost become numb to and you get used to it regardless mm-hmm. of how painful and how frustrating it is. It's the mental aspect that cripples you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. there, there's a reason why, like, you know, they say like people who have cancer or anything that, you know, could kill you, if, if they're mentally not prepared to battle it, their body will shut down with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's maybe not the same in our cases, but you you know you can still give up in your body, like you know you didn't have to rehab. You could just lay in bed and just be essentially a paraplegic and not do anything. Mm-hmm. But you had some sort of fight, and you had a stable system that kept making you push. Um, but we also kind of sympathize, and we we empathize, we understand the people that don't want to fight because mm-hmm. there really is. Is and I never look at those people as weak because I understand there's so much that goes into it. There's, you know, especially in your case, like so much rehab and, so, you know, mentally you have to be so strong and you have to constantly pick yourself up out of bed every day, even yeah. to this day, I'm assuming, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you still have your days where you just don't yeah. want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you're right is that it's, it's 
I believe, like you know, that especially with my personal disability, it was more of a of a battle. It's more of an eighty twenty kind of battle, where the mental part is actually the eighty percent of the battle. Because when we don't have the mental component, the resiliency, and the mindset that you know we're just gonna power through and push through this, you know, like you said, our body just gives up. Right. And, right. you know, and the body and the brain is so much aligned and that when we redirect our mindset and redirect our focus into what we can do rather than what we cannot do, the power of the mindset shift is really, it's dramatic where it can really um, overcome a lot of insurmountable challenges. Right. That kind of goes right into the mental health stuff. So like, what was like, what are some of your, what your really darkest days? I think I would say my darkest days were when I was kind of like in my early teens or kind of um, even after I graduated from college, kind of not knowing what my purpose in life is. I think, you know, graduating with a you know, psychology degree from UCLA, you know, kind of um, all my life, I was told that, you know, if, we, if anybody goes to college, they will be given a job. And, you know, it's kind of like a happily ever ending story that I've been kind of told over and over. So then I, you know, kind of pushed through college and college in and of itself is very challenging, but um, I pushed past it. And after I graduated from college, I was kind of going, okay, so then where's my job? Like what's next? And I realized that there is no job lined up after college. And especially with the person with a disability, it was even harder to find jobs. And I feel like I'm capable and not just capable, but something that I'm passionate about doing with a sense of purpose. So I think after graduation for about nine years or so, I kind of went through like numerous, numerous jobs, kind of not being happy and fulfilled in life. And I, I always kind of thought like, you know, is this it? Like, you know, is this really what life is about? Like, have I worked so far up to this point where there is not much to look forward to? And I think, you know, kind of adding on that disability factor, it kind of got me into very, very dark days and, you know, kind of depression and, you know, like just not knowing what the reason for my life is. So that I think, you know, just kind of helping to like, and then I went on a very, like a deep, deep, like a personal transformation, kind of personal development journey. But I really like kind of tried to figure out what is kind of, what's going to make me truly happy in life. Because at the end of the day, you know, like after, after I graduated for about like five years after, I ended up going to grad school for speech pathology because my idea was that, you know, like I have some speech issues and I had traumatic brain injury. I wanted to help other people kind of similar like me. So in my head, I thought that was a great idea. So I, you know, kind of applied for grad school. I went through kind of all that process and I got in. And the first semester after I got in, and that we're talking about like doing clinicals and kind of observations and things, you know, soon after. And that's the point when reality really struck me because I realized that I can't become a speech pathologist because I have a disability myself that's going to impair me in my job. Right. So Hold the- that thought for one second. I want to add something you said because I never heard anyone put it that eloquently where you were saying, you know, people were, you know, like, we are basically given a ceiling mm-hmm. and our ceiling is not that impressive to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's getting a job or getting your own place or even just moving out of your house, even if it's moving into another person's home, it's like, Oh, you moved out of your home. Like our ceiling has always been told and it's so low. Mm-hmm. And, and so like what you said, like when coming out of college, mm-hmm. 
you're just like you're you know everyone else is like well there's opportunities here and i can go here i can do that but yours your ceiling is so low so you already you already hit it in most people's eyes and it's like unless you have the mentality that some of us have like you do it's hard to break through the ceiling like it's hard to really push past it because we're such we're putting this such a small box Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to just kind of understand that like this is your box and don't try to come out of it because the world's not going to be nice to you and and you're not going to have these opportunities and if you want an opportunity um which i think in your case since you've already pushed through so much it's kind of hard to tell you no anyway Mm -hmm. so it's like well i've already kind of taught myself how to live life all over again Mm -hmm. it's like you can't tell me that i can't find another job you can't tell me that i can't do these things yeah um but i love that about you because like i said that's that's something that isn't discussed as much where you know we talk about maybe the job market and all that but like i said everyone's ceiling is different but Mm -hmm. in our case you know it's different too for different disabilities and so on but you know you in most eyes people would say wow this person who went through all this she made it through college like her life she she did it she succeeded and it's like yeah but i'm not going to make money from going to college Mm -hmm. technically you probably probably spent more money that you now have to find a way to pay back Mm -hmm. right 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 Right. So it's kind of like the ceiling that you mentioned. It's also the ceiling that we put on ourselves. Right. And it's it's kind of like for me, it was this idea where, you know, like I could have just, you know, kind of graduated from college and say, you know what, I lived the best life I could. And now I'm just going to kind of cruise control or just kind of, you know, live off of, you know, other people's help and just be dependent on others. But I think with me, I still had that fighter mentality inside of me where it wasn't enough for in my point of view that I needed to do more and I kind of had a more bigger calling and a purpose and I was in constant search for that. So right. I think the search and the journey was the hardest part because I couldn't find an answer. Like there was nothing that, you know, that I could possibly do that's going to make me happy and fulfilled in life. You see a lot of dead ends. Yeah, a lot of dead ends. And a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of employers that say, you know, like, as we talked about before, it's like employers saying that, oh, they're equal employer, you know, and they give equal access to everybody with or without disability. And that, I mean, we know that that is still not true. Like, discrimination happens every single day, whether or not they realize it, whether or not it's conscious or subconscious, discrimination happens. Right. And I think, you know, for me, you know, just kind of, you know, going through rejections after rejections and, you know, just keep on going, keep on fighting. I think with me, it was this idea that, you know what, if they don't want to hire me, I don't want to work for them. And, you know, there is going to be a company out there. There is going to be a position out there for me where I can use my talents and use my passion to make a difference, not only in their company, but also in the world. And I was in constant search for the for the oppor- for the right opportunity for me to kind of blossom. Right. Yeah, you really find yourself kind of if it, within the journey, within fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I push back and the, the less I have of a filter, I kind of like and respect myself more. Like I realize, you know, I started working with other people with disabilities and I started to see how they were treated. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just this, oh, it's me against the world mentality. Now I'm seeing these people who are just like me, but we're so different in a lot of ways but we're all put into the same category. We're all paid the same. We're not different in any way into all these people, into these people's eyes. And it's like, and then I also started, you know, caring about some of these people and they became my friends and all mm-hmm. that. And it's like, 
that's when I kind of like, I almost, it's kind of sad, but it was almost like I could take it on my own and just say, you know, I'm used to this. But then when I seen how other people were treated, it's like, no, we're not all the same. We're totally different. We have, you know, we live our lives differently. We just, we have one thing in common. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I think, within that battle like that's kind of what woke me up it was just like i don't want to see this shit anymore like i'm mm-hmm. tired of seeing how we're treated and then of course you develop relationships you know like how you and i are and just all these other people that i've come into contact with and obviously the podcast has kind of lit a fire under me but just it, it makes me really want to fight for us because you know you get told no so many times mm-hmm. and then you and then you you know like i said and then you come with, and you have all these journeys and you meet all these other people and you see how many times they were told no and now you're not just fighting for yourself anymore. Now, you know, you're one of the few people that are really standing up and fighting for us mm-hmm. and trying to give, give us an all an equal chance because, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, you can talk about racism, you can talk about all these things, but the reality of it, no matter who got to the top, they basically just created all, no matter what color, no matter what they are, they created all the rules to benefit them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the, the job structure is and all that. And, you know, they make it hard for people just to come in who are a little different. Mm-hmm. And you have to either change their minds or you just have to find another place that hopefully there's there's some open-minded people out there that are willing to come down to what you need. And, and you probably don't even need much. You just need one or two little tools or whatever to help you. And then you're off to the races. It's just, I, I think, because, you know, they're so bent on, a lot of these companies are so bent on just, money mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like you don't understand money money or not you could actually get a decent worker and you know you can almost in a way and, and, and you, they probably shouldn't but they can use you in a way like look we hire these people and look how you know look how great they are as a worker and so on and it's like and you know a lot of times we are ones who inspire people of the opposite you know whatever you want to call them yeah you know, people who can see or people who can fully function and walk and, and all that um because you can use us as like a guiding tool of, hey, look, you may not feel it today. You may not feel like doing it, but I, it took me a long time to even get out of bed this morning and even want to just live. So if, if you if I can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, like, I think that message in and of itself is so strong, right? I think a lot of people with disabilities kind of tend to undermine their power of influence. Right. But the thing is, you know, the way that we just live on a day to day, the way that we kind of show up, the way that we talk, the way that we kind of do anything. You know, the thing is, everybody is watching us, whether or not, you know, we whether or not they're doing it because they're trying to judge or whatnot. You know, we have a lot of power that we can influence others and influence other people's perspectives and also kind of like the world. Right. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people with um, disabilities, in a way, they kind of tend to victimize themselves and undermine their potential and their power. And kind of like what you said, with, with when we kind of use our disability as a leverage and say that, you know what, this is what I can bring to the table. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, like we have more resiliency than maybe a lot of people who just kind of, you know, tend to just kind of cruise control through life, not to undermine anybody's struggles, but in a way our struggles can be a little bit more profound than others. And I think with that, if we believe that that's our superpower, rather than thinking that that's my curse and that this is something I have to deal with the rest of my life and I hate myself for that, you know, if we tend to embrace who we are a little bit more, then the thing is the world sees our positivity and they find value in that. 
So I'm a big proponent in that it has to start. It has to start from the person who is going through the struggle to show the world that you know that they're more than than just their disability. Right. Yeah. I was I was hoping you were going to bring that up because we talked about that about a week ago. And and I never thought of it that way. How you you know look at people with disabilities is like a superpower. Mm-hmm. It's not something we really think about. And I I was I you know you know not to nerd out or whatever, but I was I was thinking kind of like I'm more, I and I don't know exactly, but I was kind of thinking like even maybe the origin of like the X Men. Yeah, it's all these people who they consider are just mutants and these freaks. Yeah, and it's like I'm wondering if that has something to, like based off of people with disabilities mm-hmm. or these downtrodden people who are just kind of. You know, and then they're just kind of turning them into something much more special than they really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I've, and you know, and like I said, it, it made me think about our conversation because it was like, yeah, like we, you know, it doesn't feel like we're superheroes because we're constantly in pain and we're constantly, you know, mental pain and all that, and we're fighting. And but you know, we're not really fighting crime or anything like that, but we are fighting for just our sanity for you know, our, our place in life mm-hmm. and, you know, we're pushing back to every, cause everything is against us. Right. Um, and, and we're trying to just fight for what we believe in and we're trying to have a voice and it's hard because a lot of people don't want to take us serious because of whatever, how you sound, how my eyes look in a certain light or whatever, and how the, you know, and it's just in the reality of it is we're just like you and we have a lot of pain and we have a lot of things that we're going through. Mm-hmm. It's just, some of our stuff is just out there for you to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but yeah, like I said, I love the fact that you you, you talked about that before because, it, you know, it's hard to think that way because we are a lot of us are so beaten down and, and yeah. broken. And, right. But but there is something special to the fact that every morning we have to get ourselves out of bed and we mm-hmm. do it and we still smile and we still try to laugh and have a good time in life. When there's times maybe the day before you felt like wanting to kill yourself or you, you felt like just just life is, is pointless. Mm-hmm. But then the next day you wake up and there's something in you that's just like, oh, that was funny. Or, you know, you just you're smiling, mm-hmm. um, whatever it's your, your pet or, you know, your husband or your boyfriend or, or girlfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you whatever makes you happy. And you're just like, I'm happy today. But yesterday I wanted to die. And it's like, it's like, yeah, like you really you fight. You're fighting all the time. Um, and I'm always tired. Right. mentally because i'm fighting so many wars in my head mm-hmm. yeah but if i don't fight them then there is no me right so right. you know it's it's kind of like this idea that you know it's kind of like i see myself as a warrior right like if i had to if it has to count the number of battles i had to fight with myself you know just to kind of live my day to day i don't know i would be like you know like the biggest you know kind of warrior champion like in the world right Right. and like you said every moment is a struggle and you know and not to it's not like the most purposeful it's not the most you know serving way to see every moment as a struggle but the reality is every moment is a struggle you know but you don't you don't win all your battles either exactly you lose a lot of battles and you actually are humbled more by the ones you lose yeah then you win not to be cheesy but that's really what it is right right and you know because the thing is you know everybody's on a hero's journey in life right and everybody wants to become the best version of themselves but the best version of themselves doesn't really come when we kind of constantly stick in this victim mindset and trying to blame everything you know i can't keep on blaming my injury or blaming the fact that there's limited opportunities for me or just kind of in general you know it doesn't really serve me in any way so I think I'm, even if you're right yeah 
like I've learned to kind of shift the mindset into thinking, okay, what is something that I can control and I cannot control? And the reality is, the truth is, is that there's more things that we cannot control than what we can control. Because the only thing we can control is our own thoughts and our own feelings about any particular situation. That's the only thing we can really control. And that's the power of the mindset because anybody can look at, a st- at the same situation and have different interpretation and meanings of that. Right. Yeah. It's just a, a shift in perspective and it's, it's a shift in mindset. So if I think myself as, okay, woe is me, I have a disability, I kind of um, train my brain not to think of it that way. And I now think that, you know, like I'm, I'm different and I'm okay to be different with pride. Right. So that if I am different, I'm just going to be different and just embrace myself for that. Right. Because not everybody is supposed to be the same in this world. You know, we all have unique DNAs. We all have a unique personality. We all have different, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And why not kind of embrace ourselves for who we are rather than who we're not? Right. If someone says you're not normal, I always just say thank you. Yeah, exactly. Because. Because yeah. I, I don't, I want, I don't really know what normal is. I mean, I kind of understand what they're saying, mm-hmm. but in general, it's like you want to be like other people. Yeah, yeah. I don't, and if, even if it's my eyes to make you realize that, like it takes my disability for you to realize that I'm not normal, and then maybe it takes a little bit, you know, because sometimes even if it starts off as a negative meaning of why they're getting to know you or talking to you, it's like if you, if I can just invest your time a little bit, you might understand, like, oh yeah, he's kind of fun to be around, or he's a nice person, mm-hmm. or so on. Um, and the eyes really don't matter in, in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, it, it's really fun to kind of see the different relationships you create. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes you, you, you start off on a bad foot with people and then you kind of realize you either caught them on a bad day or they're just, you know, they're brought up a certain way or whatever. And then of course you meet the good people who are just genuinely good. And of course you meet the assholes who are just going to be the way they are. But, um, but you still, no matter what, of those three groups of people, you still have to kind of stay on your own two feet and just continue to keep standing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, what's like your motivation today? Like what, what keeps you moving um, through all? I mean, like I said, you still have all, a lot of the same problems. Maybe your body works a little better now. But like what is your, what is your motivation to keep you still, you know, metaphorically and literally standing? Mm-hmm. I think my motivation today has kind of evolved over the years where, you know, previously I was kind of more engrossed in myself and my self-identity, you know, trying to figure out who I am and, you know, what I'm made of, what I'm capable of. I think as I've kind of grown, grown over the years and have become more matured, I think my motivation now is much bigger than myself. So now my biggest purpose and my passion not only includes myself and, you know, kind of like what I want to accomplish in my life, but it also includes my husband. It also includes my family. You know, it also includes my friends. It also includes my, you know, my disabled community and everybody who kind of needs more voice and empowerment in this world. So I think once I realized that I have a much bigger purpose and a mission that's bigger than myself, it actually helped me overcome a lot of my fears. So I think just kind of know, you know, my story can be used as, you know, someone else's sense of hope, right? Because the thing with hope is that a lot of times people just hope to sit around and hope for things to be different, things to be better. But not a lot of people take action because they don't know what's possible. And they're too scared to try 
you know, to be the first one to kind of go out there and try new things, or you know, any anything that kind of holds us back, and like it comes down to fear. But I think I've over the years, my motivation of to become like you know, kind of like a spoke, not kind of like a spokesperson, but kind of share my story to share the story of the resiliency that people with disabilities have. That's a mission that's much greater than my fears. And that keeps me going in every moment. And, you know, all my clients that I work with and, you know, all the work that I do, whoever I talk to, I'm constantly reminded that I have the power and influence to change a person's perspective, to make, to make a difference in this world. Right. Like a, a good analogy would be like if you're, you know, constantly complaining about being lonely and depressed and women or guys or whatever have treated you poorly. It's like even if that's true. You can't sit and wait around for some girl to, or guy to knock on your door and say, hey, oh, you're beautiful. Let's go out. Like, it's <laughs> not going to happen realistically. Yes, I'm sure there's stories, but you can't just wait for just some amazing adventure to happen. Like, yes, some people get very fortunate and lucky for that to happen to them. But, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's not going to happen. You really <laughs> do have to dictate where you're going. and You do have to fight and push back. Even, yes, you know, like you were just talking about the mental health aspect. Like, it is so much easier even though, yes, it is hard to physically, mentally want to kill yourself. But if you can come to terms with it, it's the easier way out. Mm -hmm. it, just, yeah. it, it just is because you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to deal with it. You don't have to get up every morning in pain or mentally just wanting, you know, this fog over you that just tells you no to everything. Um, you don't have to deal with all your problems. Um, again, even, you know, not depending on what your religious beliefs and all that, because, you know, if you think you can look down the afterlife and, you can see how people are scarred over your death, then, you know, maybe it affects you down the line. But overall, like, if you just end your life, all your problems, now you created problems for other people, but mm -hmm. your problems are gone. Um, but it's to, to woman up or man up to pull yourself out of bed and just say, look, we got to do this today, whether we want to or not. Right. Um, Right. And that, that, that's, that's the real challenge. And, and that's what we do every day. Right, right. And it's, it's also like the story of courage, right? Because I believe that courage, courage is not, is not not being scared. And it's not not having fears, right? Because courage is, and I, it's this mentality where we do it, you know, despite the fact that we're scared and despite the fact that it's uncomfortable. That's what people with courage, that, that's what they do. And the, the most successful people in life, you know, live with the courageous mindset. Yeah. And sometimes courage is foolishness, but it, it, it's, it's a good thing because it's to fool you in to fight the fear because <laughs> sometimes you're so afraid. But if you have some courage to kind of balance it out a little bit and you can kind of just like, yeah, I can do that, even if, it, even if you can't. But if you can fool yourself in even into believing it and you maybe even come close to that goal, it's like, wow, like, I really didn't think I could ever do that, but I, I got so hyped to proving people wrong that I got, I got way further down the line than I thought I ever would get mm -hmm. um, because fear is always going to be there. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, you have to fight it. And, and, you know, even when you're shaking and, and, you know, like I said, you're having a complete panic attack. Um, you, you have to find something to kind of completely just dissipate the whole cloud and just say, get out of here. I'm, wanting to eat breakfast this morning. I, I want to go live my life this morning. I don't want to lay in bed and shake. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just, like I said, and that, it's, it's, like I said, it's so great to have these type of conversations with other people mm -hmm. because, you know, that we talked about before, like we are that logo, the guy in the wheelchair. 
And you and I came from two different types of two different parts of the country. You know, we've had two different journeys. But in the end, if we're in rooms next to each other and the same person walks in each room, he's going to look at us like there's something wrong with us. And it doesn't matter if it's the way you walk or the way I see or whatever. We're still put in the same category. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's, it's so much better if we actually stick together um, on all fronts because we are we are together whether we want to be or not we are yeah and yeah we have to we have to fight because no one is looking out for us right there is nobody I mean there are some people fighting for like people with special needs and all that but that's understandable but other than that there is no one coming for you know your disability or mine for the most part I mean there's a couple but um, there's no one really just out there just saying hey you know, shooting up a flare saying, come over to these people and give them their rights, not just give them some disability and some social security and say, Hey, this is, this is good enough. Mm-hmm. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's kind of going along with, you know, <clears throat> is, you know, it's this idea of that, you know, you have to be your own self advocate. Right. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, you know, you can't be able to do this or minimize your ability or, you know, kind of just throw obstacles along your way. And it's kind of our job to find solutions if that solution means big enough for us, you know, kind of not necessarily. I mean, not to discredit any doctors or whatnot, but a lot of doctors actually do not exactly know what the human body is capable of. You know, and right. especially in my experience, a lot of doctors have told me that, you know, like, you know, this is what you have and you're not, you're never going to be able to get better. And I've proved them wrong many, many times. So I think that's the important part that we don't let anybody dictate what we can or cannot do. That's something only we can define within ourselves. Do you get addicted to that? Because I do, as far as proving people wrong. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. Where it's this idea, okay. You tell me what I can't do. Okay, okay, watch me, you know, like, I'll see you next year. I'll show you what I can do kind of thing, you know, because right. it, it's so weird how people do that. I don't understand why people, you know, kind of are not so supportive or encouraging about other people, maybe because they struggle with self-esteem themselves. Of course, yeah. Well, the highs, you know, for us, like the highs are really high. When we prove people wrong, it's great. But then when, when someone actually allows us to prove them wrong and then we fail, it really is a, a huge downfall. Like it is yeah. a real low because right. you really internalize that and you just eat yourself alive by just telling you, see, this is why you shouldn't come out of the house. This is why you shouldn't do the things you're doing. And then the, you have to try to get, you know, metaphorically get back up on that horse and try to do it all over again or try something else, another way around it to prove it wrong. Um, don't just stay in that funk and just go, oh, I failed at whatever it is. Um, keep, keep pushing. But yeah, it, it is funny to, to know, like I said, we kind of the same boat there. Like it's, it, there is some kind of edge you get when you prove people wrong because, you know, for a while you couldn't. But now that you're kind of you can get on your two, your own two feet and just say, no, I'm this is uh, this is my life is what I'm doing. Hello. I know. Ooh, I don't know what happened. Can you hear me? Uh, there Hello? You go. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Just kind of timed out for a second. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's just nice to kind of prove people wrong. There is a kind of an addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, and it helps you just to stay focused and it helps you just to stay positive in, in certain situations where you maybe in past times weren't. 
Um, some things I want to ask you. Oh, so like, tell me some of your like daily routines. Like, you know, like for you, you do things way different. We talked about how long it takes you to cook sometimes, but you know, like, how do you just for you? And again, it might be just as normal as mine or anyone else's, but for anyone wondering, like, what is like a daily morning routine for you and how you do it? I think for me, um, because I've lived with my condition for so long, that I've kind of learned to kind of do stuff kind of in my own way. So I think right. kind of in the morning, you know, I just kind of kind of um, get up and just kind of look at my calendar and look at, you know, kind of what I have to do, you know, who I have to talk to, you know, what kind of clients I'm kind of coaching today and things and just kind of going about my day to day. I think the biggest struggle that I have for me, it's more like, kind of um, planning and organizing and kind of keeping it with my time management and things like that, I kind of tend to struggle with a little bit of kind of planning and organizing in a way. But I think in terms of my day-to-day, the biggest struggle that I have, you know, it kind of comes down to um, cooking or kind of um, kind of pre- preparing meals and things. Because, I mean, you can imagine with, you know, just one arm, it's kind of harder to kind of cook my meal or, you know, kind of prepare food in a way. So I have to use right. a lot of... Um, adaptive equipment but the thing is i've learned how to like love to cook i first i really dreaded it when i first had to cook had to learn how to cook but then there's a lot of adaptive equipments out there and this is an idea where you know if there's a will there's a way right i did not know that there's so many adaptive equipments for cooking for people with different disabilities so then i have like a whole set of kind of kitchen utensils that i use and you know i just kind of have you know I've learned how to enjoy how to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Because, you know, for me, it takes, you know, two or sometimes even three times the amount of time that a normal recipe says it takes. Because for me, it takes a lot of prep and I have to kind of adjust a lot of different things. But then the biggest joy is, you know, when I cook for my husband and then, you know, he's not a picky eater at all. And, you know, when I kind of cook for him and then he, you know, kind of likes to, you know, eat the food that I made and it brings Does he help? Oh, yeah, he does, he does help a lot. And I'm okay. so appreciative of that, you know, because he's such a supportive husband. But I just love kind of cooking for him and for us to be able to share a meal that I know that I make, you know, with my own hands. Right. So just, just like as a quick thing, like whatever kind of meal that you like to make obviously takes you longer than most people. So mm-hmm. whatever utensils you use, like, you know, whatever, talk about a meal, like what it takes for you to make it, like you know, whatever, you make a spaghetti or whatever, like, how do you do it physically in comparison to what someone else does? Yeah, okay. So, for example, my favorite food is, like, Thai food. Like, I don't know what it is about Thai food. Like, I just love Thai food so much. And the thing, you know, like, a lot of of Thai food kind of involves a lot of vegetables that kind of have to go in, right? And the thing is, you know, you have to remember that I can't use my right arm in order for me to cook. So then I have, like, an adaptive cutting board where there's, like, a nail at the end of the cutting board where I kind of put the food, kind of poke it to make it stabilize. And then I use my left hand and I have a rocker knife. It's called a rocker knife. I just have to kind of grab it and kind of rock back and forth. So that's kind of like the cutting part. So the biggest part that the most amount of time it takes for me to do is chopping, chopping vegetables or chopping meat and things like that. Just the cutting part just takes so long because I have to, I have to, kind of you know set it up on the cutting board you know kind of line it up 
Right, and I have to line it up, and I can't do very fine chopping where I have to do more like a bigger, a little bit of a bigger chunks. I'm just gonna adapt it in that sense. So then okay. I have to kind of do that, and the pots and pans that I use have to be one handle kind of pots and pans because you know I can't you know quite carry you know heavy things with my right arm. Right. So then, just kind of looking at a recipe, and then okay, kind of planning ahead and saying, okay, is this a recipe that I can or cannot make? And if it's something that I really want to make, what are the adaptations that I need to kind of create? So even as I'm cooking, I have to use a lot of creativity and problem solving in order to follow the recipe to make meat. Yeah, but it makes your life, I mean, it, it makes your life more difficult, but it also kind of makes it more interesting too. Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, every single recipe is like a challenge that I kind of conquer. Right. And at the end, you know, after I finish making it, the sense of fulfillment and joy, it's, it's so much bigger than the challenge that I went through. Right. What are some other things? Like, do you use any kind of those same type of utensils? Do you use, like, do you use anything else for, like, I like the blind. Like, a lot of people, like, if you're fully blind, they use, like, Braille labels to say what color their shirt is. So, like, do you use anything, whether it's getting dressed or to drive, um, like I said, when I'm talking about your daily routine, I'm just trying to figure, I just want to let people know how you do things because it's yeah. so much more difficult, but you, you thrive in it. So, right. Yeah. So I think, I think it also comes down to like, because I've done it for so long, I don't really think of it much. Right. right. But I think just to kind of describe it, I think putting clothes on and things, it's mainly everything that I do is involving my left hand. So my right hand is just there to support if needed, but because I have very limited kind of functioning ability, it's just I, you know, button with my left hand. You know, I, I, if I have to do zipper, I zip with my left hand. And I just kind of, my left hand dexterity has become so much more better because I'm not able to use my right hand. I was going to ask you that. I'm sure your arm has gotten so much, your right or your left has gotten so much stronger. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that kind of happens with, um, you know, like even with people who, you know, are kind of, they can't use their legs, their arms have become so much stronger because they're constantly moving around on crutches or whatever, mm-hmm. wheelchairs or whatever they're using. Their arms are constantly being used and yeah. they're so much stronger than your average arm or hand. Right. Um, right. And, and it's, it's so funny because I use my left hand for everything. Now, I, you know, I have more tension on my left arm because I use it so much. I like what, yeah. I like what you said. Like you, so you basically use like your left arm as almost like a prop. Like you use it as something to lean in something on, because it's it, people don't realize like you put two buttons together. Like put a button together. Like mm-hmm. you, you really do need multiple fingers from two different yeah. hands, mm-hmm. or you kind of have to prop it against something. And I told you I have a friend named John who has trouble with his left arm, but it's, it's a different different than yours. It's mm-hmm. Just much shorter, and you know, but. He, I've seen him do things and it's amazing because it's like, man, like it made me realize like my two arms that I have is like, I like sometimes I'll do things with one arm just to prove I can do it. Cause it's like, I see what other people do. It inspires me to kind of mm-hmm. appreciate the things that I have. Right. Um, yeah. You know, can I, so like, for example, like when it comes to like buttoning, right. So like yeah. you said, it does involve two hands to some extent. So because my right arm can do more of like, like more gross movements than fine, fine movements, I kind of use my right arm to kind of hold it in place, right? Because right. my fingers are not really, you know, kind of, kind of there, you know, to support. I just kind of, you know, kind of touch it or kind of put prop it in place. And then I use my left hand to do the rest. Right. right. Yeah. 
yeah, that's, so yeah, things like yeah. that. And when it comes to driving, driving is so much fun. Driving is like the best thing that accomplishment that I'm most proud of at, that I've done in my life. Because I think prior to driving, I learned how to drive when I was 20, 25. So I learned how to drive pretty late. And I think for me, driving was the biggest biggest obstacle I had to go through in order to gain my independence. And for me, independence meant so much in my life. You know, kind of okay. being able to not being able to move around or not being able to go anywhere without, you know, depending on my parents or without getting rights. For me, that was the most crippling thing out of all my disability. So right. like I had such a strong motivation to drive where, you know, getting, I mean, hiring the driving instructor costed me so much money, but at the end of the day, it was so much worth it. So then how I drive is, you know, because, you know, you know how like the regular car in the U.S., you know, you have to use your right foot to press on the gas and the brakes. Right, right, right. So what I do is I have an adaptive equipment where I actually drive with my left leg. So what happens is there's a connector, like a like a pedal, that when I there's a connector to the left pedal. If I press the left side of the pedal, it actually attaches and presses on the right side. Ah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. So then I drive with my left leg, and because I can't use my right arm, and you know how when you have to turn the wheel to you know make a left or right turn, you have to actually physically like literally turn the wheel, and because I can't use my right arm. I have a spinner knob on the oh. wheel to make it kind of spin. So I, I can cool. just grab the knob and just kind of spin. So driving is like my biggest hobby. I don't mind sitting in traffic and just kind of enjoying it. Because for me, driving means meant the world to me. Right. And I, I don't understand why people judge these type of things. Because to me, and again, I know I'm, I'm kind of the same boat as you in a lot of ways. But I, I it makes me like. Like, I love hearing these type of things. Like, I'm super fast. It's not even just for people listening. Like, I'm super, you know, engulfed in what you're saying because it's like, I'm fascinated how you get through your life. And it's not even a way of like, oh, look, she's doing this weird thing. It's like, no, like, that's, like, you don't ever think of these things. And there's actually people out there that are making these, like, life-changing little tools that are helping us uh, to really live our lives. and, And you don't you know, those people probably have no idea how many people they lives they've changed. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's it's almost like you you almost like I'd rather be that way mm-hmm. than yeah. how other people do it because you really appreciate life more because there's so many more challenges. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're so right. You know, like you know, and the thing is we don't take things for granted. You know, like, I don't take driving for granted. And I think, you know, the person who invented those adaptive equipment, like, I am so thankful for them. And, you know, thankful for just the world that we live in and all the technological advances that there is, you know. But a lot of people who have disabilities don't really realize that there are equipments that can improve the quality of their life. Because they're they're not in the mindset to even search for that. Right. right, but this this kind of going back to the whole if there's a will, there's a way, and yeah. if there's a will strong enough, there is something out there that's going to be able to support you, right? Yeah, no, I love what you said because, like I said, it, it's hard to you know, even, even when even when you kind of take something for granted, your life will something will always come back to you and humble you because there's times where mm-hmm. I forget sometimes that I have an eye problem because, it, like, like with you, everything is acclimated to how I do my thing. And I may be on the computer and it's all the way zoomed in. 
And if somebody who has perfect sight may see that and act like it's, they're like, whoa, how, how do you do that? Like, I don't even know how you screw it. It's like, oh, sorry, I for, you know, you forget. And there's days I'll wake up and I'll just be like, you know, or like maybe yesterday I had a good eye day. And then the next morning my eyes will be shitty again. And it'll be like, ah, you know, I just, it humbles me. It makes me realize like if I was ever fooling myself into thinking I was whether normal or whatever you want to call it, mm. it always brings me right back to, you know, where I was the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to your other point, you know, as far as people making these life-changing things, like, and that's basically what you and I are trying to do in our own way. Like we're trying to find these little little pieces of life. It's a small little corner that's ours and trying to make a small, tiny difference. Even if mm-hmm. it helps one or two people, it's it's helping somebody and maybe it, they'll help them or, or help someone else. And it just, it trickles down because yeah. there is too many crappy people out here and there's too many crappy things going on in the world. Right. And that's the stuff that gets reported. That's the stuff that people see. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stereotypes, all the things that make you want to hate people or hate life and all these things. In order to change, you know, people's perception on whether not even just people with disabilities or, or racism or sexism or any of these things, you need the people that are legitimately believing in their cause and they're fighting for other people. Because a lot of times these causes and these special interest groups, they fight, they start off in a right in the right direction and then money hits their way. And it's like it confuses everything. Yeah. And the wrong people take over. And it's like people like us, we genuinely, all we care about is obviously having as healthy mindset and, and a positive, good life as much as we can. Mm-hmm. But also the real reason why we're still standing is to try to help people who are in our same position. Yeah. And not just the same disability, but just people who are going through something and to try to keep them just alive. Yeah. And keep them motivated. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's the whole advocacy and, and, and it's the movement that, you know, kind of like, you know, people that you and I are trying to create and it's self-empowerment and, you know, just kind of helping, helping people realize that there is hope out there if they're seeking it. Right. So what what are you working on today? Like what what are you doing to help people with disabilities? I know you uh, told me before, but you know, yeah, now we're so, on recording. Um, so a couple of months ago, you know, starting the beginning of this year, I kinda launched my life coaching business. So I help, you know, people with disabilities, you know, kinda especially in the area of career coaching. And kind of helping people realize, you know, what they're called to do and what makes them fulfilled in life using various assessments and tools to help them realize, okay, what am I good at? What are my strengths? And also knowing what are my weaknesses? Because you have to be able to kind of leverage your strengths into going into an area where you're going to be good at something rather than the area where you're going to struggle. Right. So yeah. helping people kind of realize that, you know, where is my calling? What are my strengths? What are what is my what is my personality and who am I more aligned to do the kind of work that I want to do? So mm-hmm. helping people get gain a lot of clarity in life. And once they do get the clarity, they actually have more confidence to go out there and to kind of seek, you know, whatever you know job that they want to seek or just find ways to just make them happier. And not have to be, you know, in this kind of stuck mentality. I help people, you know, kind of who are ready to overcome that stuck mentality and who are ready to take the next steps and who are ready to kind of explore what else is possible for me out in the world. Right. 
So that's kind of like the work I do. And I find so much fulfillment when I see, you know, every single one of my clients kind of transform, you know, every session that I do, you know, something kind of pops in their head. And they're like, oh, I didn't really think of it that way. I didn't think of myself that way. And kind of helping re- people realize that the shift in perspective is so important. It can make all the difference in the world. Right. And so my kind of like my training and all the backgrounds, you know, the certification that I received and my degree in psychology and also like my master training certifications in, you know, neurolinguistic programming and all like the over like 2,000 hours of kind of mindset work that I did on myself to help other people in general, it's really coming to fruition where I'm realizing a lot and a lot more people are needing this kind of help. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a site, a website? I don't have a website yet. I am in the works, in, um, in the making of it. But if people are interested, they can kind of contact me via email or um, kind of um, by phone. Right. So when we um, this episode will probably be coming out in about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I put it out, I will get your information and I will put it in the description. Sure. Um, sure. So they can get a hold of you at any time and mm-hmm. uh, try to help as much as I can. Yeah. And I think like the most important um, part of the work that I do is helping people realize that if they live in the life that they do right now and, you know, kind of their trajectory of life what kind of regrets would they be having in the future, right? Mm-hmm. And helping kind of people to kind of um, see themselves in the future and predict their future and saying, are you content with how your life is going? What kind of changes would you want to make, you know? And how would you want your life to be different, right? At the end of your life, I learned this from Brendan Bouchard, is that, you know, people tend to ask themselves these questions, these, que- th- these three questions that they ask. It's, did I live, did I love, and did I matter? Yes. Right. And these questions, it kind of struck me, like, really, really deep. And it, it made me really evaluate my life and saying that, you know what? I was dealt with a bad hand cards, right? I didn't choose to have a traumatic disability, you know, traumatic brain injury, right? And I, that's not something that I would have ever wanted for my life before my injury. But that, that was the card that I was dealt with. But now it's my choice and it's my determination how I'm going to play this card that I was dealt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you have to do. And, you know, like I said, you can't really help what happened to you, to any mm-hmm. of us. And yeah. Some but we, can, but we can choose how we're going to move forward with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just closing here. Um. Uh, does your does your husband have a disability? No, he does not. So he was very understanding from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And my husband and I—he's the most supportive man that I, you know I've ever met, and we're so happily married. And you know, I'm so grateful for him and just who he is. Are your? Do you have less dark days than you used to? Because I'm with him. Just in general, but yes, that too. Yeah, in general, I think I think I for sure do. And, you know, because learning how to kind of learn how to better live with myself and embrace myself and also, you know, kind of finding a partner who is along my journey and who is so supportive, that makes a huge difference as well. Absolutely. Um, Is there anything else you would like to say or any encouragement or anything? You could say whatever you want. Yeah, I I think um, 
I just love the work that you do. And I just, you know, kind of want to continue kind of sharing the message that, you know, like we're not kind of stuck in the brain and the body that we have, right? Because we can always make improvements. We can always make ourselves better, but it comes with choice. It's whether or not I choose to live my life in a better way and how to improve my life every day on kind of like a millimeter kind of level. If I live today better than yesterday, that was a life worth living. Right. right. And kind of taking it day by day, because as you know, you know, every day is a struggle and, you know, the struggle, unfortunately, is not going to go away. Right. right. But it's kind of learning how to live with uncertainty, how to live with struggle and try to come out of it saying that, you know what, that was a battle worth fighting for. Right. Yeah. Well, just so you know, you always have a friend. You can come on anytime you want. Um, whatever you need, just. Just ask, even if you want to. Oh, thank you. You want to uh, promote something someday or something, or even just want to have a important conversation like we just had. Um, you know, I think you know it, it's been. I, it, sometimes I feel bad because I, I tell so much of my story and other people's, and sometimes it comes off like really dark and sad. And I think even though there's some da- darkness and there's some sadness in this this conversation, it's overall pretty positive, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of stuff that also we need more of too because there's yeah. the need more especially camaraderie and just you know two people that came from two different walks of life but still in, end up in the same place and you become friends and you get to know each other and you just realize like it's good to know that you're not the only one fighting and there's other people out there on the front line trying to make a difference for us because it the world becomes very cold and lonely and if you feel like you're the only one out there it's way easier to give up or want mm-hmm. to give up yeah and to know people like you exist it makes my fight stronger because it's like oh okay like i know even if i even if i have only met angela i know angela's out there fighting somewhere and i can't just stop because now you're alone or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and every person who gives up you know it weakens our fight even more yeah Um, and so like i said it's very important like i said we anytime you want to come on or even want to just talk about whatever um, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, like I said, if there's anything else you want to say, otherwise we can end it and I'll let you know how it, you know, I'll edit it, let you know how it comes out. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for your time. And, you know, I, I mean, this was my first ever podcast and I'm so thrilled that, you know, that I got to be on your podcast and, you know, kind of share my story. And I'm so excited for, you know, what you're accomplishing. And, you know, this just kind of keep on fighting and keep on this journey. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. It definitely helps. Awesome. Sounds yeah. great. Have a good one. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye.